If you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping your writing, then come study with me. In addition to our normal classes and ProTrack mentorship program, I have two amazing weekend intensives coming up this summer for writers at different levels. You can come to New York and take them here over the weekend, or you can attend online from anywhere in the world and participate just like if you were in the room. On June 22nd and 23rd, if you've already taken my Write Your Screenplay class or if you're a writer with some experience who listens to this podcast often, I'm teaching for the first time ever a Write Your Screenplay Level 2 intensive. It's on Saturday and Sunday, June 22nd and 23rd. What we're going to be doing in that class is breaking down the seven-act structure of many different films, as well as showing you some of the really cool differences between writing for film and writing for television and how to adapt those structural concepts for different kinds of writing. We'll also be talking about advanced techniques for writing for the inner eye, for hypnotizing the reader with your action, and also some advanced pitching techniques that you can use not only to talk about your script and get it out there to other people, but also to uncover the structure in that script yourself. It's going to be such an incredible workshop. And for writers at all different levels who are new to the studio, I'm offering a new weekend intensive version of my Write Your Screenplay Level 1 class on Saturday, July 27th and Sunday, July 28th. And in this special weekend intensive format, what we're going to be doing is looking at how to break through your inner sensor to get your best writing on the page, how to conquer writer's block and set up a writing lifestyle for yourself. And we're going to also be looking at how to build your script or your television show organically from the blank page to character to scene to act and all the way to structure. We're going to do an introduction to how 7-Act Structure is built, and we're going to break down movies and TV shows of all different kinds. And we're also going to do some really amazing writing exercises to get you thinking about your characters and your structure in a more intuitive and exciting way. So I hope that you can join me for one or both of those wonderful intensives, and you can find out more about that on my website, writeyourscreenplay.com. Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies like critics, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we're going to look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We're going to look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. For an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. This week, we're going to be looking at Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3, The Battle of Winterfell. And man, am I excited to talk about this episode. I haven't had a chance to talk about a battle sequence of this length and consequence and poetry since my podcast on Mad Max, which you should check out if you're into action writing. So today what we're going to talk about is the poetry of violence, the poetry of writing action in your screenplays. We're going to talk a little bit about how to build a battle sequence, but also what makes a battle sequence special. And just a warning, if you haven't yet watched The Battle of Winterfell, there are some major spoilers ahead. Action sequences are actually just like drama sequences, are actually just like comedy sequences. 
they all work the same way, which is they're not actually about the fight. They're always about the interpersonal dramatic moment that is happening within the fight. It doesn't matter how spectacularly you build the events, the plot of your action sequence. It's actually the personal story, the drama story underneath it that's going to make your action sequence succeed or fail. In fact, if you've done a really good job, you will be able to describe your action sequence as if it was a drama without talking about the action at all. And you'll realize that the action is actually laid over top of the drama. That it's actually the structure of the character choices and the character changes that actually give us the drama that carries us through the action. In a way, building an action sequence is similar to writing a musical. So when you work on a musical, the way it works usually is you write a dramatic scene. And then your composers steal that dramatic scene, whatever your best one is. They take it and they turn it into a song. When they turn it into a song, they change it because songs work differently than dramatic scenes. But they are inspired by the dramatic content of what's happening. This is true when you're writing a TV comedy, as Jerry Prezigian, the Emmy Award-winning showrunner who teaches our TV writing classes here at the studio, says, first you write it true, and then you make it funny. So it's the same thing in action writing. First you write it true, and then you find the action. And so let's start off by just talking about what's true, and how do you find true? What's true is that once upon a time there was a dagger, and that dagger was intended for Bran. And that dagger over eight seasons has passed from character to character to character to character, and finally landed with Bran's sister, Arya Stark. That dagger will finally drive home the ending of an entire engine of the story of Game of Thrones, the epic battle against the dead. Over the course of Game of Thrones, we've watched Bran Stark transform from a child to an otherworldly being who is at peace with his destiny. And we've watched Arya transform from a child into a trained assassin who has worn many faces. And we'll find her last face here when she kills the Night King. And this is the completion of Arya's fate, Arya's journey from child to assassin that we've watched over eight seasons, just as it's the completion of Bran's journey from child to three-eyed raven that we've watched over eight seasons. It's the completion of Theon and Bran's journey when Theon, who's been a coward for eight seasons, finally finds his courage after Bran, the boy he betrayed, tells him that he's a good man. The truth is that all of the structure is built out of these relationships. The relationship between Tyrion and Sansa, the relationship between Melisandre and Davos, the relationship between Jaime and Brienne, the relationship between the Hound and Arya, the relationship between Daenerys and Jon, the relationship between Daenerys and Jorah. You can see that all of these characters are going on journeys. You can see that throughout the battle, yes, there's a tremendous amount of beautiful sequences, but the structure is growing out of the drama. The structure is growing out of the hound giving up on the fight from his fear of fire and his fear of death and then choosing once again to save Arya's life. The drama comes from Arya, who has transformed herself into nothing but bravery, finding her own moment of fear where she runs. 
and then being confronted by Melisandre, who reminds her what you say to death, not today. The drama of little Lady Mormont, who refuses to go hide in the crypts and instead gives her life to kill a giant. The story of Daenerys and Jon, who have to put aside their differences to fight the Night King on Dragonback, only to find out that even Dragonfire won't kill him. And that final moment of drama, when Daenerys has to mourn the loss of the second true love of her life, Jorah, in that beautiful image where the dragon enwraps his weeping mother on the battlefield. So you can see what I'm saying. The structure of battle is actually a second layer that is put on top of the character relationships and the character changes. That is put on top of the journeys that these characters are going through, just as if we were building a drama. It's just a layer of spectacle laid over top. Now, for that to work, the battle has to have its own dramatic arc. And of course, this battle does. To understand the dramatic arc of a character, you have to understand what the character wants, what's the obstacle, what goes wrong, and what new choices does the character make. To understand the drama of a battle, you have to understand what's the plan, what goes wrong, and what new choices do the characters make. So that's the structure of the battle. But the truth is, we've also seen a lot of battle scenes in our lives. And so to write a great battle, you have to have a structure to it, but you also have to have a hook to it. Just like to write a great character, there has to be something different about this character, something that sets them aside from characters we've seen before. We've seen assassins before, but we've never seen a little girl who has to wear many faces in order to become one. We've seen complicated love stories before, but we've never seen Tyrion and Sansa reunited in this way where they can actually feel a real connection together. We've seen terrible antagonists before, but we've never seen one who is this icy, calm, cool, and collected. We have seen dragon fights before, but we have never seen one that happens in a snowstorm. So you can see that each of the elements has a hook, but also the battle has a hook. The hook of this battle is that this battle is going to take place at night. And if you think back to all the battles in Game of Thrones, you'll see they all have a hook, right? That all of these battles have something special. So that what's special about this piece is that it takes place at night. Now, a lot of people have complained about how dark the actual filming of this battle is, the feeling that you can't quite see everything. And you may like or you may hate that creative decision, but you have to admit it's a pretty damn bold one. Basically deciding that we're going to shoot this thing as if you were seeing it from the character's eyes, as if you could only get glimpses. So the hook is that this battle takes place at night. And the second piece of the hook is that this army is so huge. This army is so tremendously huge. It's the biggest army you've ever seen fighting a small army. And it's an army that doesn't tire. It's an army that doesn't fear. It's an army that doesn't try to preserve its own life. And it's an army that even if you kill it, can rise again. So this is the hook. In order for the battle sequence to work, it has to give you what the hook promised and more. It has to go through all the fears and complications that you imagined when you pitched yourself the hook, and then it's got to get even worse. Otherwise, you'll end up pitching yourself something that's cooler than what you see on the screen, and the battle will end up feeling easy or safe or boring. 
because you had such high expectations. So when you're creating a battle sequence, when you're creating any kind of hook, you have to deliver actually more than the audience is already telling themselves could happen. For example, imagine if after knocking the Night King off of his dragon, Daenerys had doused him in fire and he had simply died. You would have been pissed off. You would have been pissed off because you imagined it was going to be so much harder than that. And that's why it's so gratifying when the flame doesn't even touch him. So you got to make the biggest promise you can, and then you got to deliver more than that. Last week, we talked about the idea of saving the best for first, and this is another example of it. You're going to front load all the stuff we're expecting so that in the second half of the battle, we can go to the places that you don't even expect. We expect because we know the plan. The plan is very simple. We're going to sucker the Night King with Bran, and then we're going to kill him with Dragonfire. That's the plan. And not all of this plan makes perfect sense. They go through a little bit of a stretch to justify exactly why the Night King in the middle of this huge epic battle is going to come for Bran and put himself at risk. They don't have the best plan sending all their best Dothraki warriors out into the battlefield to die when they have a perfectly good castle behind them where they could wait for the dead to come to them. Not all of their plans make a whole lot of sense. But we know what the plan is. We're going to fight them on the battlefield. We're going to lure them with Bran. We're going to torch them with dragons. That's the plan. And once you have a plan, all you have to do is make sure that every element goes wrong. Now, we know there's going to be a bloodbath. Everybody's been waiting for a week to find out who's going to die and who's going to live. So you've got to kill off some characters, but you've got to kill off characters that we don't expect. And you've got to kill them off in a way that we don't necessarily see coming. You've got to deliver more than the hook. So basically, once you know the plan, everything in the plan has got to go wrong. Because if the plan goes right in your action sequence, it's going to feel too easy. You want to make it worse and then 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 make it worse. But how do you make it worse? How do you actually figure out what has to happen? And this is where we actually have to get a little bit spiritual and talk about the poetry of this. Because if all you're doing is thinking with your conscious mind and trying to come up with some good ideas, the chances are your action sequence is just going to retread a lot of ground that other people have tread. To figure out what happens, to find the amazing things that happen, we have to be able to dip into the subconscious part of our mind. We have to get past the conscious mind plan and start finding the things that maybe don't totally make sense. Maybe we don't even know what's happening yet. And those moments are always going to come from powerful images. If you actually think of the battle sequence of the Battle of Winterfell, you realize that it can be broken down to a couple of really powerful images. The image of the Dothraki army, swords flaming, disappearing into a sea of darkness and then watching those flames go out. Now that may be the most chilling battle sequence I've ever seen and I never saw any of it. All I saw was the image of those swords from high above what looks like a huge army getting swallowed into nothingness. That's the kind of image you find by going inside where you go well I don't even know what that means. 
I don't even understand why would they even do that? That doesn't make sense. And as a young writer, you might have the instinct to go, well, it doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. The Dothraki just would never fight the dead on their own ground in the middle of a field. But as an experienced writer, you know that that's the powerful image. That's the beautiful thing you're working towards. That's the epic storytelling. And you can see that's also the hook, right? That's the image that shows you the size of this army. Now, did Game of Thrones do a perfect job of justifying why? No, they didn't. But what they did in episodes one and two is they laid in enough that at least it seemed like a sensible plan. They made it clear enough what everyone was going to do, that you were willing to accept it. And did you care? No, you didn't. You didn't care because the drama was watching what we have seen as the greatest assembled fighting force of all time, the Dothraki, literally swallowed, snuffed out like a match. And it's at that moment that we really understand how large this army of the undead must be. Next image. The image of Melisandre setting the trenches on fire, all of the dead standing in front of them. And we go, yes, it worked! And then one by one, the dead start to walk into the flames, snuffing those flames out with their own bodies and pouring through. And once again, we see the worst happened. Now, in an early draft, you might not even know what Melisandre is setting on fire. You might just see this image of her standing with her hands facing an entire army of undead. And later you work back and you figure out how that fits with the plan. Next image, the image of these three dragons fighting, obscured by snow. The image of the blue dragon breathing blue fire into Winterfell, destroying this city that we've grown to love. The image of Sansa and Tyrion hidden behind a crypt as the undead pour in behind them, having one moment of connection and then rushing to what we believe is going to be their death. The image of Arya in the library in this dangerous game of cat and mouse with the undead. The image of the Night King doused in fire and simply smiling unscathed. The image of Bran under this beautiful tree and Theon reaching for his last arrow and finding it gone. The image of Lady Marmont charging a giant picked up in its hand and being crushed and thrusting her dagger into its eye. The image of the Night King raising his hands and the dead reanimating, not just outside in the battlefield, but also inside all the castle. All of these characters we love reanimating as undead. The image of Theon, who's only run away, running right towards the Night King, this creature that is so much more powerful than him. And finally, the image of Arya Stark, throat caught in the hand of the Night King, stabbing him with that dagger. The image of all these undead creatures shattering into ice crystals. And finally, the image of Daenerys huddled on the battlefield, holding the dead body of the second man she ever loved, Jorah, weeping, enfolded in the arms of this beautiful dragon. These are the images out of which this epic battle sequence is built. And you can see that when you hear those images, the battle starts to come together for you. In the writing of a battle sequence like this, if you try to go linearly, it's not going to work. You're not 
consciously smart enough to figure out a battle of this kind of complexity. What you do instead is you find those beautiful images. You find those beautiful images, sometimes not knowing how they connect, sometimes not knowing how they relate, sometimes not knowing how you're going to get from one to another, and sometimes having to cheat a little bit to make it happen. You find those beautiful images, and then you later work back to find the structure that's going to hold them together. And this is the poetry of screenwriting, because screenwriting is so much more like a poem than it is like a novel. Like a poem, it is actually the power of our imagery that's most important. Watch the first two episodes of season eight with the sound off, and you will find yourself very quickly losing interest. But watch episode three with the sound off. Well, you don't even have to. You may have noticed that a huge portion of episode three is actually played out in silence. You may notice that there's hardly any dialogue in episode eight at all. That rather, just like Mad Max, this frantic battle sequence plays out image by image by image by image by image by image by image. And it's the poetry of those images, some that we can see and some that we can't, some that we can make out and some that we can't, that turns this battle sequence into an epic composition an epic poem that transcends she hits him and he hits her, that transcends all the typical battle sequences that we're used to and instead elevates Game of Thrones Season 3 to art. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For a complete transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast.